This is the Ezra Podcast. Two big fights this weekend, and they're not going to interrupt with each other, right? This is a boxing edition. We're going to be talking Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez. We're going to be talking Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. Amanda Serrano. And the reason why these fights aren't interfering with each other is because Jake Paul, who doesn't think in a small box, right? He thinks of the future. He's always constantly thinking of his next move, and he's thinking of boxing in a bigger form than, you know, just the one fight that he's promoting this weekend. And he understands that guys like Shakur Stevenson, guys like Oscar Valdez, a uh, women fighter like Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor, being big names, right? Whether he's promoting them or not, it's just good for the sport. The sport that he wants to be, he's becoming a promoter in, where he's currently a promoter, he's going to be promoting this weekend. Right? Growing the sport should be his main goal because then the sport grows, that means that the fighters he has will become bigger. The events he has will be bigger, right? That's the, the thing with... And I don't like a lot of things that, you know, uh, Dana White says about boxing. I don't agree with most of them. But, the, you know, that that's true, though. It's just like, you know, everyone working against each other like that. And UFC to say that is kind of ridiculous because they don't work with anyone, right? Bellator or one. They're not trying to do that anyways. They're running a monopoly. But for, uh, you know, for boxing promoters don't do that. They, 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 they never really think of the fans, right? They just compete with each other and say, like, I, I'm going to put them on the same time. I mean... It's almost impossible to be a real boxing fan and not have multiple screens running on a Saturday night. You need about three screens to catch all the action that's happening. So it, it is uh, that does hurt the sport because I feel like you're not getting all the fights with the true energy that you should be getting them. Right, watching a fight live is completely different than watching it recorded or knowing the results or watching two fights live at the same time. It's just it diminishes the product you're watching. But we're not going to have a problem with that, at least for the main events this weekend. So let's talk about Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez first. Now, Shakur Stevenson coming off his biggest win against Jamal Herring, where he honestly looked his most dominant, right? At least it showed, you know, glimpses of what he could be his absolute best. And you got to remember, Shakur Stevenson is 24 years old, so he's like really coming into his own right now, coming into his man body. And, you know, a lot of people are critical of Shakur at times for just being too defensive, not taking any chances. But you got we got to admit how effective he is, especially with his, you know, his back step and his distance keeping and his uh, reflexes. He's, he's amazing. He's He's been uh, fl- almost, you know, flawless so far to this point of his career. Now you got him going against, you know, his biggest name is probably his toughest challenge to date, Oscar Valdez, who is coming off, you know, not his best performance against uh, um, Robson Concepcao, I believe that's how you say his name. But the performance before that was his biggest win was against Burchell. Now, I do always think of, uh, when you think of a fighter, right, and how good he really is, I kind of throw out his best performance, throw out his worst performance, and I just, you know, he's somewhere there in the middle then without that, right? The average out of all those other fights, that's kind of what he is. Oscar Valdez has always kind of, you know, never really been dominant. He's never um, clearly been like the number one guy. He just hasn't. And Burchett was the first, really the first sign of him being like the sign of the, you know, he's the high, you know, he's at that level, like of the table. He's at the table with like the highest level fighters. But then at the next performance, it's just wasn't the performance he had against Burchett. No, in an interview I hear he, I, that I heard he did, he says that he will rise, he rises to his opponent. 
that's not the you know that sounds good, right? That sounds good. Um, but to me, that kind of just shows like kind of like lack of motivation or lack of concentration or. You know, really, we only have really one example of that. I mean, every other fight's kind of been competitive. So you would say he fights at the level of his competition, but the Burchett fight, he dominated. It wasn't the level of competition. He dominated that fight. But then much lesser fighters, I think, than Burchell at that point of Burchell's career have kind of, you know, held tough with Valdez. Even people claim, thinking that Valdez lost his last fight. So this is, you know... A huge fight for both fighters. Um, the winner comes out of this with a humongous win. I think that people would probably consider the winner of this the number one guy at 130 pounds. And I think a lot of people are just uh, kind of assuming that Shakur Stevens is going to win this fight. And I'm pretty sure he's a good size favorite. And it makes a lot of sense even when I broke it down. Um, I, I try to see, you know, what's the way for Valdez to win this fight. And not saying there isn't ways for him to win it, but I, I do think that the, the style matchup, it really does favor Shakur uh, in a lot of ways. His distance keeping um, Valdez, while his legs ain't bad, you can't force him to reset a lot. Especially like him moving backwards, he has to reset. And if he moves out to like his right, he's going to have to reset to get back in position. Shakur does not have to reset. Okay, if Shakur takes a step back, he's still in position. He takes two steps back. He takes three steps back. There's um, when I talk about Earl Spence, right? I said that he's good with his first step back, and then his second second step back gets kind of shaky. Not with Shakur. Shakur could take three, four step back, and he's still gonna be in perfect pl- uh, position, place to strike back to protect himself. He's he's never gonna get shaky in there. Oscar Valdez could get shaky. He he could get off balance if you, especially like you hit him with the body going backwards, it could really throw him off. They both got wide stance. Shakur being uh, Southpaw, Oscar Valdez being Orthodox. Uh, Shakur, like I said, twenty four years old, five uh, five foot seven, sixty eight inch reach. Oscar Valdez, thirty one years old, so it should be like right in the middle. You know, it should be right in his prime right now. Uh, five foot six and sixty six inch reach. Now Valdez does have like he's not just like the guy where you know he just needs to land a big shot. That's the only chance he has. And he doesn't have, uh, you know, the athleticism or the skill. No, he has some skill. He has some athleticism. He's pretty fast, actually, and especially with his left hand. There's not a lot of uh, fat on it. His left hand is pretty quick and pretty hard to read. He actually has a good jab. He can box in spurts. He can box in, you know, be a pressure fighter. And the fact that he can do both um, makes him a little more complicated, right? Uh, he doesn't have a high work rate. I don't think his work rate is great. I think that... Uh, it kind of, to me, always feels like he's kind of looking for the big shot. When he's jabbing, I think he's at his best because his jab can easily turn into his left hook. That's how, like, uh, hard to read his left hook is. That his jab and left hook are, like, they're interchangeable as far as the movement and setup for them. But I think in this fight, it's going to be really hard to win if you don't have a high work work rate because Shakur doesn't give you a lot, right? And I don't think Valdez can win this fight just... Counting on landing clean punches, right? Like uh, three or four clean punches in a round. I, I don't think Shakur's going to give you even that. So I think he's going to have to increase his work rate. Now, I don't think, you know, making it ugly. I think that's the an easy way, you know, to break it down and say, like, oh, he's got to make it ugly. I think Valdez has a lot of skills. I think Valdez could even take step backwards uh, in this fight and make Shakur kind of, like, commit to him, right? Or don't let 
Shakur controlled the distance and the tempo of the fight and let him not be able to read when you're going to attack or when you're going to go at him. I think the jab's really important for Valdez. I think Shakur defensively is not going to give him a lot. Um, he's going to close up a lot of the openings. But the one thing about Shakur, in the, especially in the Nakatila fight, is he's defensive-minded. And he can just... When you're defensive-minded, you can be... Um, you could end up in a fight where you don't open up, right? You just... You go to your natural instincts, right? His natural instincts are to defend, right? His natural instincts are more of the way, get out of range. And if Valdez can increase his pressure, increase his work rate, and force Shakur to stay home a little bit more with his shots, that can be very interesting, especially when it comes to the scorecards, right? Because sometimes they're not going to favor the guy that's just defensive. If, the, if Valdez is working, if Valdez is working off... Uh, his arms or pushing him back or not allowing Shakur to really get the shots off that he wants, Valdez could, could, I think, could clearly win a scorecard here. Like, I think that this is a fight of really interesting strategy and what the perception is of the judges in this fight. Now, how do I see the fight uh, playing out? I think Shakur is going to control the distance. I think he's going to take a step back. I think Valdez, uh, low work rate. And him, depending on big shots, is going to be his really his downfall in this fight. I think Shakur will be able to push Valdez back in spurts. But I think that he will get away from that when Valdez kind of chooses to open up in those points. I don't think he's going to want to take those chances. Um, I see a lot of people picking Shakur to get the stoppage in this fight. I, I don't see that. I know that he looked like that in Jamal versus Jamal Herring. I think Valdez is a, a different animal than Jamal Herring as far as you know speed and power. I also think he's a little more balanced than Jamal Herring. Um, I'll take Shakur in a decision here. I think it'll be a pretty wide, comfortable decision. I'm not saying Valdez won't have moments in this fight, but I think Shakur's going to show that he's kind of levels above him. And I think that if Shakur did get the stoppage in this fight, that'd be a pretty scary statement. That he's definitely coming into his own, like I said, in his man body, but his strength and his confidence. And a guy like Valdez, who's had a broken jaw and came through it. If he could get a stoppage on Valdez, which I'm not picking, but if he did, that's that's a hell of a statement. And I would love to see him get in the mix at 135, especially with Haney, Cambosos, and Lomachenko now there. I would love to see him move up. I like think a lot of people, and he claims, he states that he wants to become undisputed at 130. Um, I'm really interested in seeing him at 135. I would love to see him fight Haney. I think that's an excellent fight. I'd love to see him fight Lomachenko. I just think those fights are there for him. Now those are big fights. I would love to see him move up to do that. Now, if Valdez wins, I guess even more interesting to see if Valdez would move up or if you get him versus Navarrete, which is a hell of a fight, would be a hell of a war. But I'm going to take uh, Shakur here in the unanimous decision and just keep it the distance. And, uh, you know, that southpaw stance, just controlling Valdez with the left hand and getting that step back with the straight. Uh, I'm sorry, no, with the controlling Valdez with his left hand yeah, with his right hand and then taking a step back with a straight left. I think he wins the fight. Uh, kind of with, you know, rinse and repeat with that ta- with those tactics. Now, the the next main event, next big fight, we got Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano, which is, you know, being claimed as the biggest biggest woman's fight of all time. I, th- I think they're right. Um, this has to be the biggest woman's fight since Layla Ali versus Christy Martin. Which was a horrible mismatch in size. This is more. E- this is an even fight, as far as size wise, and 
age-wise and to me, ability-wise. Um, Katie Taylor, who has been in more rough, uh, rougher and t- tougher fights lately than you know than she has any other point in her career. She has interesting style. I think it's it's kind of amateurish, and not like that. That's a negative way to or term or anything the way I'm using it, but it's just. It's a style that you see a lot in the Olympics, right? You would see a lot in uh, if you were like amateur tournaments where it's relying a lot on just your hand speed and your foot speed. And you're kind of moving in and out in the kind of like the same direction. You're not really circling. You kind of just like, I jump in on you, I sprint, I'll sprint you, I jump back, and I'm out of distance. And she has the legs to do it, and she has the feet to do it, and she's athletic enough to do it. Now, I don't think she has the greatest power. I think that that is very good to secure all the early rounds which she usually does she'll have a good lead i the funny thing is with between serrano and katie taylor i think katie taylor has the best opponent in tasha jonas um and you would think that experience right would favor her but and to me it kind of gave me a thing of i know what she looks like against someone of that level and i thought natasha jonas was really coming on late and because natasha jonas didn't have really the power at that weight she couldn't uh, really make KT pay when she really had her, I thought. And she kind of like was breaking her down later in that fight. So Taylor survives to win the decision in that fight. But to me, that kind of just showed me that Serrano, right, who is an excellent pressure fighter, uh, very gifted, very fluid, very fan-friendly f- style. Um, n- now, as, as you watch her, right, like it's not hard. To, you know, see people getting behind her, especially because of her style. Her style is very charismatic, I would say. Uh, she's very smooth in there, but it's a lot of pressure, a lot of work, a, a huge work rate. Uh, she's going for the stoppage. She's aggressive. But she's very skilled as well. And I just think that Katie Taylor starts slowing down with her feet later in the fight. I think that's wrong. really can make her pay. And also pay attention to Katie Taylor's defense to her body when she gets more planted. She's very open to the body shots. And Toronto loves to go to the body. I think that this is the kind of fight where it starts off early favoring Katie Taylor, right? She kind of, just on her speed, her footwork, her rushing, sprinting in for shots, she may take a lot of the early rounds, but it's going to, I think it'd be a steep fall off in the second half um, of the, in the second half of the fight. Where Serrano's just kind of putting pressure, staying consistent. Like, Serrano has a very good work rate, very good cardio. And I think where Taylor starts slowing down, I'm curious how she holds up to those body shots. I think that she will slowly begin to break, and Serrano will slowly build that pressure on. And I think this could be a highly entertaining fight. I really do. I think Katie Taylor's style is very offensive. She has the, you know, like I said, the ability to get out of the way of shots and stuff like that, but it's still an offensive style. And I think Serrano's all offensive, even though she drops her left hand and, I'm um, sorry, her right hand is, is hittable. She is um, going to come forward. She's going to put pressure. She's going to look to break the fighter down. And I think that that's what happens in this fight. I think Katie Taylor slowly breaks down in the second half of this fight. I think Serrano's going to get the stoppage at TKO. Massive victory. I think it's going to be a very entertaining fight. Um, I wish they were going three-minute rounds. Be aware if you have not watched women's boxing that, you know, the championship fights are only 10, 10 rounds and they only go two minute rounds. Now, sometimes that increases increases the work rate early, right? Like it just forces them to get into action early. Hopefully that's what happens in this fight. And um, I'm just curious to see with the two minute rounds and 10 rounds, you know, if Serrano's coming on late, if 
maybe Katie Taylor builds enough for early lead that she can hold on to get the decision and the limited number of rounds benefits her, right? I hope they change this rule soon because this is a very dumb rule that kind of really limits uh, women's fighting, I think, and let, allows people to think of it as like almost second rate to men's fighting when, to me, women's fighting is going to have like the biggest boom of everything in boxing, right? If you're going to tell me where's like the most growth boxing can have, I think women's boxing is is very capable of over the next few years just really blowing up especially with like Alicia Baumgartner uh, uh, Katie Taylor Serrano uh, Michaela Mayer like those are all capable uh, women that are capable of being stars in the sport and just like similar to the UFC when they got Ronda Rousey they got Cyborg Nunez uh, Valentina Shevchenko I'm missing a Joanna champion, you know, that which really was, a, you know, explosion, right? Of new talent and notable names. I think boxing has that. And I think this is, might be the one to kick it off. And it's curious. I'm very curious to see what Jake Paul promoting a fight like this, what that does for it. Right. Cause you, you're seeing a lot of it in, uh, regular media, right? You see, I see them on good, good morning America. I see the WWE put something out. I, I see a lot of names talking about this fight. So I'm just curious what Jake Paul, you know, dabbles in with Amanda Serrano, who's only 33, right? Katie Taylor is 35. So if Serrano gets a win, right, what what does that do for her value? And with the names like Bumgarner, can they, you know, figure out the weight to make that fight work? Or Mayer, you know, there, there's a lot of ways they can go here. And I think it's definitely going to get an increase in, uh, boxing talent in the women's fighting, which it really needs. It needs a, an, infl- an influx of talent in women's boxing. I think this is good. It's going to be a great fight. I, I can't see this being a bad fight. It just, to me, just the way it's matched up, it just has everything to be a very entertaining fight. And it's, it seems to be happening at the perfect time, right? And it's funny because this fight was supposed to happen before, and then Manis Serrano took a reality TV show that didn't allow her to you know, train for this fight and it messed up the dates for this fight to happen. And Eddie Hearn kind of got pissed about that. And he kind of let Serrano, you know, kind of took Katie Taylor in a different direction. And it's funny that Serrano then links up with Jake Paul fights on uh, his undercard builds a following. And now this is like a massive fight. It's funny that we, I thought, you know, Oh, they missed our, the boat on this. And now it's bigger than ever sold out MSG. It's going to be a historic event. And I, I, you know, boxing Twitter's talking about it. There's just no doubt about it. It it has the attention of everyone. So I want to see how it plays out. If Katie Taylor wins, she, she's a big star, Irish. Um, I think she has an entertaining style. It's 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 a like I said, amateur style, but she's there to be hit. She's there. She's working. She has a high work rate as well. I think it's a very good fight. I'm gonna take Serrano by TKO late. Let's see how the rounds play out. Let's see if the shorter rounds uh, favor Katie Taylor in her style, right? Because I there was. What I heard that there was talks of, you know, maybe we could make this three minute rounds and the Katie Taylor was against it. Now, I could be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised either. They'll kind of those, the short rounds, right? And the short, you know, the shorter, the short rounds and not going full 12 favors her style. It really does because she's going to be able to put a lead in early. It'd be very, I'd be very curious to see um, how long it takes Serrano to start figuring out the timing of it and start breaking her down. On this undercard, you have Liam Smith versus Jesse Vargas, which is a 
a damn good matchup. I think Liam Smith wins. I think Liam Smith is coming off a Fowler victory. I think he's still very, uh, very much, you know, a decent fighter. I think Jesse Vargas has never really truly been a 154 guy. I expect it to be an action fight, but I think Liam Smith will prevail in that fight. I didn't really get a chance to fully break it down, so I'm not 100% confident in that pick, but I'm favoring Liam Smith. You also have um, Emma Williams on the card facing another undefeated fighter, so interesting card. Uh, And then you have Keyshawn Davis on the Oscar Valdez Shakur Stevenson card, and Keyshawn Davis, who, you know, I, I heard he had was talking on the media call for that, and he's a very intelligent guy. Him and Shakur Stevenson both just very intelligent, dominated the interviews. Seemed like they had worked on it. Seemed like they were prepared, right? And the one thing Keyshawn Davis really said that really stuck out to me is that he said he had studied Sugar Ray Leonard, not just the way he fought, but the way he handled the media. And that's a guy that's that's a guy that's making himself a pro boxer, right? He's making himself a professional. He wants to be able to handle. The job that he has at hand in all ways. And he also said he wasn't going to be rushed, right? They said we're going to fast track him. He said, no, I'm not going to be fast track. I'm going to build my uh, I'm going to build my audience. I want to bigger, build a bigger fan base. And then when I am ready and have the big fan base and these fights come, I can, you know, I'll, I can take them then and they will be way bigger fights. And that's very smart. And I hope um, it sounds like he has good people uh, around him because you see this in the UFC now, was that in the UFC, right, they would, like, fast-track their prospects. And now the prospects are saying, nah, I'm not even going to fight no one ranked until I get a better contract. So now the UFC puts them in with a bunch of guys that are new to the UFC, and they just smoke those guys and just keep building their name that way until they could get signed to a, a decent deal and then fight ranked guys. That's what that's what uh, Keyshawn Davis is saying. He's saying, let me build my following. Because why am I going to fight ranked guys, right, legit guys, on this first contract? It doesn't make any sense. It's the correct move. It's the right move. It's very intelligent. Um, it's very interesting to see how promoters are going to handle these new crop of fighters who are more intelligent than ever as far as contracts, as far as managing their careers and opponent selection. Like, I'm just very curious. I think a lot of promotions are going to fall on the wayside because now they're not just, you know, you go there, you go fight. No, no, no. They got to battle it out like a mental game with their fighters. Right, these these guys are not getting pushed around anymore, and they're not getting tricked into bad deals or doing dumb mistakes. It doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. These fighters are very intelligent, so I think experienced guys like Bob Arum, uh, Al Heyman, they'll be able to adjust to that. But we're gonna see with Eddie Hearn, right? How um, how he's able to adjust with the fighters that you know you can't just force them into these these fights. Uh, any fight you want, or you're going to do this, and I'm going to pay, they're, they're, they're just, it's just not the case anymore. The intelligence level is really high in boxing on both sides. And I'm just curious to see how these promotions, there's, you know, boxers is a new one. Uh, we see TMK is having, uh, MTK, I'm sorry, is having all their, uh, well, they, they got a, a drug lord that was running their thing, so they're, they're going to go under. Um, I'm just curious that all these promotions, the, the fighters is just, just a new level of intelligence um, and just experience and just people being screwed over. And now they know how to avoid these pitfalls, right? You learn from other people's mistakes. And I, I just think that everything that Keyshawn Davis said, I, I was, uh, I was a fan of, I really was. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe. Uh, I'm on uh, Spotify, Apple, basically anywhere you can find a podcast. 
And please leave a review, five stars. That would really help out just trying to grow my brand. And uh, keep bringing you guys some good boxing content. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you. Peace.